All right, so um, Cliff has given me the opportunity to share today, and he basically wasn't sure about uh, where he was going to land in Abraham, and so it was hard to kind of say, take this passage, so he basically said, do what you want. So we're going to close in prayer, and we're going to go out to lunch. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and so, uh, so I, did, I chose the passage from Luke 2, 41 through 52. That's what we're going to be looking at. And again, in preparation of this, it's always, uh, you know, I don't do this regularly enough, but uh, this week I felt the excitement of sharing because it's God's word, and then also felt the heaviness of sharing God's word. And so, you know, just those emotions as I was preparing and realizing, okay, you know, you get a, it's kind of a weight to do this. And then we're in Multiply this morning, the class, the Sunday school class, and there's a section in the chapter this week that says teaching is dangerous. And so it's like, oh, okay. So I read that this week, and I realized, okay, no pressure. Just um, <laughs> there's a whole other level of, of seriousness of delivering God's word. And so anyway, so I come to you with excitement to share and also just the heaviness of God's word and what we need to do with it. So, um, so about five years ago, one of Amber's uh, Bible teacher, her name is Grace Iverson, she shared a couple things with Denise and I, and uh, it really changed our life in a positive way. It, it forced us into some growth mode that, that we weren't necessarily asking for, but God knew we needed. And uh, so it was a book by Brother Yoon called Heavenly Man, and Denise read that. It's his autobiography, and then became a reader after that, and it really just trained, changed some things in her. And then we listened to David Platt for the first time. Who's this David Platt character? And, you know, he talks really fast and, right, make disciples. And it was, it was a 50-minute audio that was just amazing. And being a Christian since I was 13, raised up Christian home, went to Christian school, you know, I was okay. I was doing all the things that uh, Christians do, right? I was going to church. We were very involved in stuff for church programs and doing all the things that we, you know, that are important at some level and yet at the same time really aren't that important the more you dig into this. And uh, so anyway, so it started to really just change us. And David Platt reminded us, what's David Platt talk about all the time? Make disciples. And so it was this huge reminder. And so I would say in the last five years, there's been this growth in us. And it's hard to explain because it's not a quantitative you know, it's not like I scored a 4.5 and now I score a 6.2 on a test. So it's, it's not that. But God is definitely doing some things in both of us. And, uh, and so the thing that I, that I thought of in that is we have been increasing in our faith. We have been increasing. And it was even at a time where we felt like, oh, things are going pretty good. And so if, that's what we're going to talk about today. So this passage talks about the increasing um, part. So Cliff says, hey, share what you want which is more difficult than here's a passage you need to share on. And so it's like, okay, here's the Bible, what do I want to talk about? And so there's two things that I kind of narrowed it down to, which would be why don't we talk about what Jesus commands us to do? That's always a good thing. Or we could talk about what Jesus did himself. So he tells us to do certain things, and then there's lots of examples that he did certain things. And so today we're going to focus on something that, uh, that Jesus did more, Okay something that he did as a child, he kept increasing. We're going to talk and focus about that. And so that's what our passage is today. And so let me pray for us as we get started. Lord God, we come to you. And uh, Lord, we just, just have open hearts to your word and to what you want us to hear today for each person. It's amazing how your word can speak different, differently to each one of us today, even in the same setting. And so, uh, Lord, just do that today. Allow your Holy Spirit to be here. Amen. So in your notes, you have, uh, you have the cream-colored notes inside there. So I just want to read through 41 through 52. We're going to focus on 52. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it. 
but supposed him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey and then began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you are looking for me? Did you not know? Did you know, know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men. So that's the passage we're going to cover today. So if you want to open that up, if you want to take notes, you can. Some of you'd like to, others don't. So the one thing that's interesting about this story is that it's the only gospel account of Jesus between infancy and his public ministry. Okay, so what's, what's the beginning of Luke 2? Jesus is born. This is the end of Luke 2. Jesus is now 12. You go to Luke 3, Jesus is 30. Okay, so this, this isn't a true, this isn't a year-by-year account of uh, Jesus' life. Let's go through some of the settings a little bit just to, just to get some background before we jump into 52. So the feast in verse 41, the feast is the annual Passover feast in Jerusalem. Okay, and you can look at Deuteronomy 16, 1 through 8, and again, it was instructed to Moses to, to have this feast, the feast of Passover. It's an annual event. It's just what you did. It's just, it was expected, okay? Now, as far as 12, when you look at 12 in verse 42, again, he was 12 years old. What happened around 13 Jewish traditions, bar mitzvah? So there's this transition year of 12 to 13, and for some reason, Jesus chose to stay this year. He chose to stay behind this year when he was 12, transitioning into 13. And so 12 to 13, which is pretty young, is a transition in the beginning of manhood, right? It's, it's, this, it's the starting point of manhood. Nowadays, we have people that are 25 years old, and they haven't started this manhood transition yet, so not really sure about that, but that's a different topic. And so, um, so again, if you look at Luke 3.23, um, it talks about how Jesus was then 30 years old when he started his ministry. So again, there's 18 years... And so this verse 52 says he was increasing. And so a lot of folks look at that and they say from age 12 to age 30, he was increasing. Now, it doesn't mean he stopped at 30, but that's what, that's what this gap is, is really showing us. Now, let's talk about his parents. So he had regular parents, right? Jesus had regular parents at some level, human parents that he had to listen to, he had to obey, they probably sat down at bedtime with him. They probably changed his diaper. Well, they had to, you know. Jesus was a full human. And so he had regular parents that did these things for him. Um, but for some reason, Jesus stayed behind this year. For some reason, there was something different. There was something more there that he wanted to stay and observe. And so have you ever had with your kids, have you ever been shopping and there, you walk by the TV department at Best Buy or something and they sit down and start watching what's there? And then you go check out, and you're walking outside, and you're like, oh, where's so-and-so? You trust that they're in the store, right? You trust that they're there somewhere, but sometimes they kind of wander off because they see something that they really want, a toy, you know, something. They have to go to the bathroom or a television, you know, playing a video or something. And so I kind of looked at it that way, like, okay, all this activity was going on. They were done. They're ready to travel back. And Jesus is like, no, this is where I want to be. He saw something that he wanted more than going home. And so he stayed there. And so we can kind of relate as maybe our kids, I don't know if you've ever lost your kid, but, you know, sometimes we want to. But, um, but every once in a while, you know, they're, they're doing other things that maybe uh, they shouldn't be doing. But the other, thing, the other thing that's interesting about parents is they were traveling in a large group. So they're traveling in a large group back to their hometown. And so Joseph probably made the assumption that Mary had Jesus, and Mary probably made the assumption that Joseph had Jesus, and he was a pretty trustworthy kid. So he wasn't known to run off and do crazy things. And so they probably just trusted that he was hanging out with somebody in the group. Okay? 
So that's a little bit about the parents, a little observation in some of those verses. As far as learning, Jesus loved to learn, and so he took an opportunity to go to the people that were going to be able to teach him. And so he went where? He went to the temple, and he went to the teachers, and he just sat there, and he started to observe, and he started to learn. And we'll talk more about that, where he listened and he asked questions. We'll talk about that verse a little more. Um, Actually, let's look at that. Let's look at 46. So then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking questions. So as a learner, that's what we need to do. We need to position ourselves so we can listen to somebody and we can also ask questions. You can ask questions, but in this format, it doesn't flow as well if you start asking a lot of questions. So we'll probably, we'll probably do that later. All right, the next setting is the father. So as we look at verses 48 and 49, 48 says, which is, which is right by them, right? They've been looking for him. And the three-day thing, just to, just to mention that, most people think the three-day thing, it was a one-day journey, they realized he wasn't there, one-day journey back, and then the third day they found him. So it wasn't like the temple was so huge that they took them three days to find him, okay? And there were no amber alerts or any other, you know, forms of communication at that point. Well, let's look at Father, 48 and 49. Son, why have you treated us this way? So Mary, as the parent, took it personal. Why have you treated us this way? Because now it's very stressful for us. Behold, your father and I have been anxious, anxiously looking for you. Okay, so what did Mary, what did she look at it? She looked at a perspective. She's referring to Joseph, your father and I. And she's looking at it as a perspective of, as parents, we're anxious and we're concerned about you. How did Jesus respond? Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? So Mary is referring to father as Joseph. Jesus is referring to father as God. And so this, I think this is a crucial point of transition where, um, where Jesus is now changing his focus at age 12. He understands his mission and why he's here, and he's realizing that he needs to be hanging out with his father, and he needs to be in the temple more than with his parents, with his earthly parents. And so I I see this as a transitional point for that. Now Luke uh, Luke 14, 26 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother and father, father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Again, I think Jesus was, was showing us he was starting to do this. He was starting to care more about his relationship with God the Father than his earthly parents, okay? John Piper said, So it seems to me that the main teaching of the passage is that Jesus now recognizes his unique sonship to God and that his mission will require of him a devotion to God's purpose so great that it takes precedence over the closest family ties. Okay? So there's a lot happening there. But we're going we're gonna to continue on and really focus on 52 a little bit more. So that's a little bit of the background. That's a little bit of the setting for this verse that we want to talk about. So on the other side of the notes, it says and, and there's a blank. I don't have PowerPoint. You're going to have to keep up with me or raise your hand. And no. And Jesus. Okay, all we're doing is filling in the verse. We're filling in the verse. So and Jesus. So let's talk about Jesus first. Because this verse is focusing on him. So there's two aspects that I, want to, that I want to talk about, and that's Jesus' humanity. Jesus' humanity is the first thing I want to talk about. So Jesus was fully man when he came to earth. Now, there are a lot of books. There's a lot of discussions and sermons on this, and so we're not going to go into it at a heavy level because it's a very difficult subject. But if we look at, if we look at Philippians, it's probably the best place for us to look to understand this better. And as humans, we can't fully understand this ever. But Philippians 2, 3 through 11. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look at your own interests, but the interests of others. Sounds great, right? You could take those two verses and say, here, you know, you need to do better at this. But then it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So God did not, Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped. He fully released that in order to come down for his mission on earth as a human. Okay? There's a little bit more after that passage as well. But what a great passage to just show us that, that Jesus, in his humanity, he's fully human here on earth. Okay? Why is that important? So David Platt says that Jesus had a human body, a human mind, human emotions. Jesus fully identifies with us. He is familiar with our struggles. He is familiar with our sorrow. And he's familiar with our suffering. So the reason we can study this and we can truly say, look, I need to be like Jesus, WWJD, what would Jesus do? The reason I can truly say that and look at that is because he was fully human. So he truly had a body, had a mind, had emotions. He experienced struggles, sorrow, and suffering in his life. So if he wasn't fully human, it would be really hard for us to truly relate to him. Okay? So Jesus in his humanity. And again, John Piper says, Therefore the child standing before us here in the temple is not so different that he cannot serve as an example for us and our children. And that's really what we want, to, we want to really grasp today is that Jesus is truly an example that we can follow. Not just this mythical character, not just this, this big God that is perfect and we can never achieve it. We can, he can truly relate to us and we can relate to him because he came fully as man. So in Jesus' humanity was the first thing. And the second thing is Jesus is, as an example. So it starts with and Jesus. So there's humanity and then there's example. And so what does that mean when Jesus is an example for us? Well, Jesus is our perfect example, and we know that. And so our goal is to be like Christ. Our goal is, as Christians is to be little Christ. So one of the questions that we're going to talk, I'm going to, I want to ask now and then we're, we're going to ask later, is how many of us, how many of you, how many of us together want to grow and increase in our faith and our obedience? How many of you want to grow in your faith and your obedience? I mean, part of being here is part of you saying, I want to do that. I mean, you probably don't come to church for the donuts. You probably, probably don't come to church for free coffee because we don't have it. No. Uh, you know, I mean, there's other things you could be doing, but part of being here is saying, I want to grow and I want to increase. Okay? So, so I'm going to assume that we are all on the same page with that. And if we're not, that's Okay. But if we answer yes to that question, so if we want to grow and I want to increase, then who should I follow as my example? Okay? Why not Jesus? Why not follow the perfect example? So if I'm playing basketball and I want to improve in basketball, there's a lot of professional athletes that I can look at. So do you want to be more like Michael Jordan, or do you want to be more like Sam Vincent? How many of you know who Michael Jordan is? Come on, raise your hands. Everybody knows who Michael Jordan is. Okay. How many of you know who Sam Vincent is? My point exactly. So 1988, they were both on the Chicago Bulls team together. Michael Jordan is amazing, right? One of the top basketball players ever. Sam Vincent, Mark Easter is the only person that may know who he is. Mark... Do you know who Sam Vincent is? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good point. He made the NBA. So you could follow him a little bit, but it's only going to take you so far. And so we need, even in our life, we need to find people that we want to follow after. We want an example of somebody. We want the best. Right? So if you want to be the best at basketball, you should follow what Michael Jordan did. If you, not Sam Vincent. If you want to be the best in your Christian life and you want to increase and you want to grow, then we should look at what Jesus was all about. Because again, the scripture tells us what he did and the scripture tells us what he commanded us to do. Okay? So he's our perfect example. Now we can follow Abraham, we can follow Paul, we can follow other people, and we can see their examples as well, but let's look at the perfect example, which is in Christ. So the second blank, it says, and Jesus kept increasing. This is NASB because I like the word kept increasing. Let's see, in the NIV it says he grew. 
ESV says increased. The message says matured. There's different words, but kept increasing sounds very moving, right? It sounds like the ING verbs are movement. You're doing it. You're continuing in it. So Webster says that that increasing is growing larger or greater. Other synonyms are ever-increasing, rising, greater than ever. So we understand what that means to keep increasing. I think most of us understand what that means. It's interesting to look back at Luke 2.40. So you've got to look in your Bible on this one. But Luke 2.41 is where we started. But if you look at, look, look at Luke 2.40, it says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Okay? Not really sure. That's from infancy to age 12. Somewhere in there, he grew and became strong, having to do a stature. He was filled with wisdom, and favor of God was upon him. So again, from age whatever, infancy to 12, favor of God was upon him. It doesn't mention favor with men. That comes, that comes in the passage we're going to look at. But again, Jesus was increasing from the beginning. He was growing. Now, the other thing is Jesus grew in all four areas. He wasn't just, he wasn't just growing in wisdom. He wasn't just learning more and growing in wisdom. We're going to look at four different areas that he actually grew in. And so it's an active thing. And, and that's something that we have to be. We have to continue to be active in our growing. Okay, look at verse 46 and 47 one more time. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Okay, so there's four things that are happening there with Jesus as he kept increasing So he sought out out these teachers and he sat in their midst. He listened. He asked questions. And then he gave answers. In those two verses, all four of those things are happening. And so again, we can use that even as an example of how do we keep increasing? Well, we need to be taught. We need to listen. We need to ask questions. And we need a dialogue. We need to give answers as well. So that's what Jesus was doing in those two verses. Again, Mr. Piper says, I infer that this, I infer from this that if the Son of God sought out teachers, listened, asked questions, and gave answers about the things of God, therefore, so ought his people to seek understanding. So it's the same thing. If Jesus did it, I'm pretty sure it's a good thing for us to do. Okay? So, and Jesus kept increasing. What did he increase in first? In wisdom, okay? So wisdom. So now we're going to talk about these four areas of increase. Wisdom. Here's a little definition. Wisdom is the quality of being wise, the power of judging rightly, and following the soundest course of action based on knowledge, experience, and understanding. It's a lot of words. It's a lot of, you guys understand what that means, right? Okay, The quality of being wise, the power of judging rightly and following the soundest course of action based on knowledge, experience, and understanding. So it's kind of pulling all these things together to make wise decisions, right? We always hear about that. We, teach, we try to teach our kids to make wise decisions. So what are they doing? They're taking their knowledge, they're taking their experience, and they're taking their understanding, and they're making a decision. We don't always make wise decisions, agreed? We try sometimes, but... Often we make decisions in our own humanity and we mess up. So wisdom, what do you think of in the Bible? Where's wisdom? Where are there a lot of passages about wisdom? Proverbs, of course. Good job. So Proverbs 3, 13 and 14 said, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. Wisdom. Who's the person you think of in the Bible when you think of wisdom? Solomon. What does Scripture say about Solomon? In in 1 Kings 4, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the, the wisdom of all the people of the east and the wisdom of Egypt. For he is wiser than all other men. Everyone. Now, was Solomon perfect? Did Solomon have other issues? Well, he had to have. He had a bunch of wives, so I'm sure he had lots of... Anyway. (laughs) 
So Solomon, in this area, though, was given wisdom, was given wisdom greater than anyone, the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. I mean, that's pretty great. So what else do we know about wisdom? What else does Scripture tell us about wisdom? Because remember, we're talking about Jesus increasing in wisdom was not just facts. It wasn't like he was going to take the AP history test and he had to know all these facts. What we're talking about is increase in spiritual wisdom, increase in biblical wisdom, increase in knowing God's word. That's what we need to focus on, not just knowing stuff. We need to know God's word. Psalms Psalms 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when you think of fear, this is the fear which is also related to the word like awe or respect. Think of somebody that you fear or you have awe or respect for. Most of us have awe or respect or fear of police officers, right? People in authority. And because of that, how do we respond most of the time? We respond with obedience. So when you have fear and when you have awe and respect for somebody, your natural response to that is going to be obedience to what that person is telling you and what that person wants you to be about. So again, the fear of the Lord is just the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So that's part of this wisdom, this intellectual growing. Jesus kept growing somehow in wisdom. Now, how did Jesus grow in wisdom? He grew because he was fully man. Jesus grew because he was fully man. He didn't arrive on the scene and know everything. Okay? Kept increasing. And if you're in your 20s, there's a lot more for you to know and you can keep increasing. And if you're in your 60s, there's more you can know and you can keep increasing. Right? So there's no time limit that says, well, once you reach age 82, you can stop learning and you can stop growing in wisdom. Remember, wisdom, part of wisdom was knowledge, but it was also the experience and understanding. So do we get wiser as we get older? We should be, right? We should be because we have experience behind us. Okay, so number one is wisdom. That's the intellectual. Jesus kept increasing in wisdom. What else did he increase in? And stature. What do you think of when you think of the word stature? Say it again. Standing up tall, big, and, you know, this physical attribute. And there are some people that look at it differently, but we're going to focus on just that physical aspect, that he grew in stature. He grew in his physical um, as, a, as, a young, as a young man, as he was growing from age 12 to age 30, he grew in stature. Okay? So it is a lot about physical. It's about a healthy body. It's about strong. But it's also about what our bodies are supposed to be used for. Because Scripture tells us what we're supposed to use our bodies for. And so in Romans 12, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice. That's a whole sermon, right? Just on that word. Just on those two words, living sacrifice. We could talk about that for a long time. What does that mean? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So there's something we're supposed to do with our stature, with our bodies, as a living sacrifice. Because that's part of our service. Romans 6, 12 through 13 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. We're supposed to use our bodies for service of righteousness, not for this mortal, not for death, not for these, in our mortal bodies, we're supposed to use it for righteousness. Okay, so there is something with our stature. Now, what else do we know about our bodies? Our bodies are what? What do we always say? Our bodies are the temples of God, right? And I think if we fully grasp that, we would probably do things differently a little bit with our bodies. Sometimes we we say that, and yet we, we may not care for it the same way that we really should. That's something that we probably need to soak in a little bit. And, and Because in 1 Corinthians 9, it talks about 27, it says, but I disciplined my body, kept it under control, lest after preaching to others, I, find my, I, I myself should be disqualified. 
So again, there's discipline involved in this stature. There's discipline involved in this temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the, sexual, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You have been, brought, you have been bought with a price. And the little, the little bit on the end, so glorify God in your body. We know the purpose of our lives is to bring glory to God. This specifically says, glorify God in your body. Again, we could talk about that a lot. We could talk a lot about what that looks like as far as the way we're supposed to care for our bodies. But are they temples of God? What he tells us. Okay? Okay, so we looked at Jesus increasing in wisdom increasing in stature, and in favor with God. So let's look at that one next, in favor with God. So this is a spiritual aspect. What does it mean to increase in favor with God? What comes to your mind? What do you think of? What, I mean, it's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, it makes sense, and we want to do that. But when you, when you, when you want to come into favor with somebody else, what does that normally mean? It means that the way they look at you increases, right? They, they increase how they look at you. So it's kind of an interesting thing here that we want to increase in our favor with God. So we want to please him so that he looks down at us and is pleased, right? So it's kind of a, it's kind of a tough thing because that's just what he requires and that's what he wants. But when we look at it from his perspective to bring him all the glory, then it makes it a lot easier. When we look at it from man's perspective, then... How do I find favor with God? Oh, I'll just do all these things. We get in this program mode of doing. And again, even today in the multiply class, it wasn't about doing, it's about love. It's about following the two commands, love the Lord God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so, how do we increase in favor with God? Well, how did Jesus increase with favor? Obedience. Jesus was fully obedient. Even at the end of his life, he still said to God the Father, do we have to do it this way? Can you take this cup from me? So Jesus was fully obedient to come down as a human and increase in his favor with God. This is the spiritual development that ought to characterize every child of God. The importance of value of the soul is seen in Matthew sixteen twenty six. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You don't see those stickers as much as you used to, but remember the stickers on the back of the cars, the one with the toy, most toys wins? You know, that was kind of always the thing, is what can I achieve and what can I... Or what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? We can talk about a lot of people that we know. We can talk about stories about, right, you can't, you'll never see a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse because you can't take it with you, right? So as soon as you die, your soul continues on, but all that stuff stays here. So how do we increase in our soul? How do we increase in our favor with God? So spiritual exercise, okay? Spiritual exercise. We talked about our stature, and we need to eat well and exercise as part of our temple of God. So spiritually, we need to do the same thing. And so it's the application of the word of God to your life, taking God's word and applying it to your life in a spiritual manner. And the results are going to be what? The results are going to be increasing. The results are going to be growth. The results are going to be your character deepening at a different level than if you didn't do that. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So how many of you have exercised before? How many of you guys have exercised before? Okay. You can exercise on Monday and eat six Twinkies on Wednesday, and it's pretty much void, right? It's very easy to exercise and then to do thing, make different decisions that totally eliminate what you did in your exercise. Because why? Because it's of some value. But godliness, as we develop spiritually, 
It's good for us now, and it's good for us later, and it's good for us later. So if we're increasing in our spiritual life, there's much more value than just increasing in our physical lives. Okay? And so Jesus looked at this, and he was increasing in favor with God. And so how can we do that? We're commanded to increase in favor with God. How do we please our Father? What was Jesus doing in the temple? The transition between father and father. His transition from his earthly father to his heavenly father. He was transitioning to what was most important. So he was increasing with favor with God by spending time with his father. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with men. More of a social aspect. So God is a relational God, right? For some reason, he wanted to hang out with us and have a relationship with us. And so he created us. He created, he created this earth for us to live on. He created systems for us to live within. And he created us to be social beings. And so we are social beings, and we need to live with other people. Most people that end up doing really bad things or decline in their lives typically isolate themselves. People that are isolated don't do well. We need each other. We are social beings. We need to live and love people around us. And so Jesus, think about Jesus. Who did Jesus hang out with? In his social circle, as he was increasing in favor with men, who did he hang out with? Sinners, Teachers, tax collectors, prostitutes, Zacchaeus, Nicodemus, Matthew, right? And Matthew, he went into his home. Zacchaeus, you know, I'm coming to your house today. You know, how many times did he, did he go into these people's homes and get into their world? And so how did he increase in favor with men? What was it that he was doing? Was he buying lunch so that everybody would like him? You know, was he bringing the beer to the party so everybody would like him? You know, what was he doing to increase in favor with men? He was meeting them right where they were, right? And they saw something in him that was, the thing that kept coming to me was his principles of life, his principles of who he was, was consistent. I just kept hearing the word consistent, and they trusted him. Because we work with, we work and live with people that are not Christians, but So how do we increase in favor with those people? You know, as a Christian, and we don't really, we're, we're unequally yoked with somebody, but how can we increase in favor with them? By being consistent, being trustworthy. We talked about it again in Multiply. It was a good morning. Um, there was a little section on being a hypocrite, right? We need to not be hypocrites. We need to live what we say and do what we say, ask forgiveness when we don't, But how do we gain favor with men? Jesus did it by hanging out with them. Jesus did it by being with them and being consistent. Was his message the same to all of them? It was. And he wasn't trying to impress the Pharisees, right? Pharisees were kind of the influencers of the day. What was he doing to them? Speaking truth and love. He was was consistent with them as he was with everybody else. And so increasing in favor with men... Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 39 says, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we're looking at Jesus as an example. What did he do? But right here is a command for us to do. Is it easy to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind? It's easy to want to. It's easy for us to all say, yeah, I want to. But it's very difficult to actually do it with all, the word all. Is it easy to love your neighbor as yourself? We sort of select some that we want to love, and we select others that are more difficult to love. So we, if we just don't hang out with them, then I don't have to love them, you know, right? We, we actually fake ourselves out a little bit in that. But if we truly, if we truly were going to love our neighbors as ourselves, that would look a lot different. Again, we talked about that in our class this morning. Okay? 
So let's think of it real practically. So if I was going to increase in favor with men, what's the first thing that you think of? What, is that, what, do you, what do you think of? What could you do differently to increase in favor with men? Well, from a human perspective, we're typically going to do what? We're going to do something that makes them like us, right? We're going to say the right things. We're going to do the right thing in, in context with what they perceive of us. Does that make sense? So we're, we're protecting our reputation, okay? And really what's most important is our character. I love the line that says, you have no control of your reputation, but you have control of your character. So it doesn't matter what people think of you. All that matters is who you are. And so how do we increase in favor with men? There's going to be people that you're not going to increase in favor with. Why? Because you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and they're not. And they're going to make fun of you. They're going to not want to hang out with you. They're not going to understand it. They're not going to get you. And that's okay. That's going to happen. That's the... That's going, to, that's going to be something that happens in our world. That's going to be part of this difficult life that we live in. But when biblical principles guide your life, others will trust your word and want to be around you and work with you and engage you. And what happens then? Even if they disagree with your faith, even if they make fun of your faith, you have an opportunity to affect them and infect them with, with the gospel. Anybody, anybody of you guys work or have non-Christian friends, family? Okay? So we're all around people. Some of them make fun of your Christianity sometimes, or they make fun of your faith. You know, oh, we'll just go, you know, go do that, and it'll take care of it all. And in, in our office building, there's a gal who's not a believer, and she, 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 puts, she jabs a little bit from time to time about my, my faith. And uh, I still, we still hang out, and I talk to her from time to time. Well, the other day, there was apparently a crazy, a crazy person on the RTA bus. And so they pulled the bus in front of our office there on Magnolia, and everybody got out, and they had to kind of isolate this person. She was doing some weird things and pouring things on her. Or, anyway, people were very nervous what she was doing. Um, and so once that happened, then they had to bring other buses in and get people, you know, so there's this whole thing. And so I, we're, we're coming back from lunch, and I pull in, and my friend is there, and she says, Jeff, you need to go talk to her because she probably needs Jesus. And I said, let me park my car. I'll be right there, you know. But she meant it in jest, right? But there's something there, right? There's still something there that, that she is, uh, yeah. But she totally, she's like, yeah, she needs Jesus. You better get over there. And I'm like, yeah, she does need Jesus. You're right. So she was speaking truth, even though it was sarcasm and it was kind of a jab. But that's going to happen, right? We're not, as we increase in favor with men, what is it going to look like? It's not always going to be warm and fuzzies. But we have to speak truth and love. So how did Jesus do it? He spoke truth and love. How are we supposed to do it? Speak truth and love. Okay? So if growth... If we look at growth and increasing in wisdom and stature, let's look at those two things as inputs. Let's look at stature as something that we're going we're gonna to work on, and let's look at wisdom as something that we can actually work on. If those are inputs, then favor with God and man are going to be outputs. Those are going to be outflows of us working on. Because I can't work on favor with God and favor with man. In a, in a true sense, I really can't do that. I can work on increasing in wisdom, I can work on my stature. Those are things I can work on. And as I work on those things, then favor with God and man are the outputs that just start to take care of themselves. If you focus on those outputs, then you're, you're never going to really get where you need to be. Because all you're going to do is try to make it look good with God in a church. Oh, I'm doing all these great things. Or with people, oh, look, how, look at me, my reputation. So I, we really need to focus on the, the input in our lives, and the output will naturally just happen. The interesting thing about this passage in Luke 2.52 is Woodcrest Christian uses these four areas to give awards every single year. And so they, they have four awards that they give at every level. And so wisdom is academic, and then stature is athletic, and then favor with God is leadership, Christian leadership, and favor with man is Christian service. And so they use this passage, and they give awards in each of those categories. You know, four categories... You know, and, and they, they look at them and they give awards every year, and I think it's great. All right, so let's look at the back here. 
because we need to figure out how to apply this. It's great to understand it, but we need to know how to apply it. So how do we increase? How do we increase? How did Jesus increase? What, Christina? <laughs> she was listed them. So how did Jesus do it? So we need to see, look and say, Jesus is the perfect example and the model. Whatever he was doing, I need to do more of that. Right? So if he was in the temple with, with teachers and leaders and he was asking questions and listening, then I need to do more of that. So how do we increase? Now, in our natural man, we can do what? We can read books. We can spend time in programs. Right? We can spend 50 hours a week at the gym. We can do a lot of other things that are the natural man, right? Oh, I wish I just knew more. I want to read history books, you know, 20 hours a week. And, you know, we can, I hate to say this, but we can waste time on some of those things that are more natural man things. So how do we, how do we look at spiritual man things and how do, we, how do we increase? Who can assist us in increasing? Now, Jesus, well, anyway. So how can we, who do we have that can assist us in increasing? The Holy Spirit. Why did Jesus leave earth? What did, he, what did he tell his disciples when he was telling them that he had to go? Jesus said, I need to leave in order that the Holy Spirit can come. Jesus hung out with how many guys? Twelve. He spent more time with three of them. We have limits on how many people we can hang out with. Now, what happened when Jesus left? The Holy Spirit came to who? Hundreds of believers. And then there's the one passage in Acts, 3,000 believers were baptized that day. Jesus couldn't hang out with 3,000 people. Jesus couldn't influence 3,000 people. But the Holy Spirit is in 3,000 people. So we have an advantage because we have the Holy Spirit that can help us in this increasing. But we also have to look at the 1 Corinthians 9 passage, which is, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. But we don't like the word discipline most of the time. Kind of a negative word, right? I'm going to go on a diet. That's kind of a negative word. I'm going to do a budget. It's kind of a negative word. So discipline is not the greatest word, but it's something that we need to be about. Isn't the, who's in the Tom Allen group? You know, are, what are you guys studying? Fat, fasting and prayer, okay? So that group studying fasting and prayer. Is that a discipline? Is it easy? Okay, it's very difficult. But it's a discipline, and it's good for us. So how do we increase? Again, I left some blank there, so you can just kind of mold it over. How can we increase? Let's look at how Jesus increased. We have the Holy Spirit, though. So as, as we spend time with God and we're in tune with the Holy Spirit, it starts to really just show us how we can increase. Now, at the bottom there, specifically, how are you increasing in wisdom? What are you doing in your life to increase in wisdom? What are you doing to increase in stature? What are you doing to increase in favor with God and favor with men? So what are the things that you're doing to increase in those areas? What if we just focused on wisdom for a while? What if we just increased spending time in God's word? What if that was the only thing that you increased in the next 60 days? Just spending more time in God's word. What do you think would happen? He would start to work. He would start to talk to you. He would start to transform your heart. He would start to have you look at things differently and see people differently than you do today. So ultimately, though, if we look at the areas of where we want to increase, we really have to ask the question is, what do I need to change in my life to do that? What did Jesus spend all of his time doing? He spent the majority of his time with people. And then there's little... There's little bits and pieces where he went up to the hills to be by himself. He went up to pray, right? So Jesus needed time by himself too, right? So it's okay to not be with people every day of your week. Sometimes you need to need some me time, right? Sometimes we as humans need to be away from those people in our lives, and that's okay. But Jesus spent time with people because that's the most important thing. Work, work is always going to be there. There's always going to be work to do tomorrow. But people aren't always going to be there. So in the application section, I just want you to think about that. Again, how do we apply this? We need to look at Jesus as our example, as our model. Let's, look at, let's read about what he did. 
What's a, what's a good place to start in the Bible to read about what Jesus did and how he interacted with people? What's a good book of the Bible, Cliff? What's a good book of the Bible? To read about Jesus' life and where he interacted with people. Christina, what do you think? No, I'm just kidding. No. The book of John is a great place to start. If you just want to read the book of John and see how Jesus interacted with people, let the Holy Spirit just show you different ways with different eyes. Okay? All right, let me pray for us. Is Jamie here? I don't see Jamie. Are we doing another song? All right, Cliff's going to sing for us. Oh, Jamie's coming. (laughs) How many of you want Cliff to sing the last song? (laughs) Yeah! Wow! (laughs) All right, let me pray for us. Lord God, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your example. Uh, We appreciate that you came down as a man. You were fully human so you could relate to us and we can relate to you. Lord God, I just pray that you would expand our hearts here at Bridges, that you would expand each person's, uh, that they would increase in knowledge, increase in wisdom, Lord, that we would just uh, thirst to uh, just be in your word. And Lord God, that, uh, that we would increase in the, all these different areas, that we look at Jesus' life as the example. And Lord God, I just pray that each of us will spend some time just figuring out how we can apply this to our lives and what we need to do differently. Lord, I just thank you for this body and this community of believers that we can challenge each other, we can encourage each other, we can do this together. This isn't something that we do by ourselves. Jesus had 12 close friends that he spent time with. And so, Lord, I just pray that we will do that with others. So together as we increase, that you will transform our lives. And the natural outflow of that will be that we will make disciples, that we will continue to just grow in our, in our personal lives and that we will share that with others. Lord God, we thank you for this place and the space that we can come today to just learn more. In your name, amen.